For our first message today, we have a split sermon uh, from Mr. Sean Witt entitled 2020 Vision. Mr. Witt. Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see everybody here on this beautiful Sabbath day. And I want to say welcome to everyone online, including my mom. She's tuning in with us today. Okay, so as you may have noticed, my message is entitled 2020 Vision. And yes, it's a little bit of a play on words as well because we're in the year 2020. 2020 vision is considered perfect vision. Have you ever looked back over an event and thought afterwards that you could clearly see what had transpired after the fact? It's easy to look back and see the events as they have unfolded. A little harder to try to see how things are going to happen before they do. How is our vision? Are we seeing things clearly in the moment and ahead of us? Or are we stumbling around in the dark with blurred vision? Sometimes we may not realize that our vision is even impaired, thinking that we have perfect vision. So how do we know we have our vision being impaired? Today I'd like to talk about how important it is to have perfect vision and looking ahead. First of all, let's see what the Bible says about a lack of vision. Let's turn to Proverbs 29:18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law is happy. Happy is he. You know, God expects us to capture a vision, not just to do what we think will make us happy in the moment, but to follow his will. To be looking forward and having a vision, you need a road map. But you know, people under 30 probably don't even know what a road map is. So, it'd be kind of hard for you to use one if you've never used one. But that's okay because we have Google Maps and other types of apps that you can use on your phone to get where you need to go. But my point is you need to have tools to help navigate us through this life. Another prime example of instruments to help you is the instruments in a cockpit of an airplane. A pilot is trained and required to use their instruments. They are trained to have to complete an extensive amount of hours for flight. And they also have to have an extensive amount of time using instruments as well. But first of all, even having instruments in front of you, there's no guarantee that you're going in the right direction. First of all, you need to make sure your instruments are working properly and you're reading them properly. You know, I'm reminded of a documentary I watched a few years ago. Uh, it was basically regarding different uh, plane crash tragedies that had happened. And one of them they had on there was a recounting of uh, JFK's Jr.'s plane crash that he had about 20 years ago. And I would like to read a short article from history.com regarding JFK's Jr.'s plane crash. And this is from history.com. On July 16, 1999, with about 300 hours of flying experience, Kennedy took off from the Essex, 
County Airport in New Jersey and flew his single-engine aircraft into a hazy, moonless night. He had turned down an offer by one of his flight instructors to accompany him, saying he would do it alone to reach his destination of Martha's Vineyard. He would have to fly about 200 miles. The final phase would be over a dark and hazy ocean. And inexperienced pilots can lose sight of the horizon under such conditions. Unable to see shoreline lights or other landmarks, Kennedy would have to depend on his instruments. But he had not qualified for a license to fly with instruments only. In addition, he was recovering from a broken ankle, which he had affected his ability to pilot his plane. At Martha's Vineyard, Kennedy was to drop off his sister-in-law, Larne Bassett, one of the two passengers from there. Kennedy and his wife, Carolyn, were to fly on to the Kennedy compound on Cape Cod's Hyannis Port for a marriage of Rory K. Kennedy to the youngest child of the late John F. Kennedy. So they were heading to a wedding. The Piper Saratoga aircraft never made it to Martha's Vineyard. Radar data examined later showed the plane plummeted from 2,200 feet to 1,100 feet in a span of 14 seconds, a rate far beyond the aircraft's safe maximum. It then disappeared from the radar screen. Kennedy's plane was reported missing by friends and family members, and an extensive rescue operation was launched by the Coast Guard, the Navy, and Air Force, and civilians. After two days of searching, the thousands of people involved gave up hope of finding survivors and turned their efforts to recovering the wreckage of the aircraft and the bodies. America's, Americans mourned the loss of the Crown Prince, one of the country's most admired families, a sadness that was especially poignant given the relentless string of tragedies that have haunted the Kennedy family over the years. Investigators studying the wreckage of the Piper Saratoga found no problems with the mechanical or navigational systems. In their final report released in 2000, the National Transportation Safety Board concluded the crash was caused by an inexperienced pilot who became disoriented in the dark and lost control. This last sentence is powerful. The crash was caused by an inexperienced pilot who became disoriented in the dark and lost control. Can the same thing happen to us, brethren? As the world becomes more increasingly dark with immorality, murders, abortions, gay agenda, all indicators of Satan's presence, we can become disoriented in the dark and lose control. Are we experienced pilots who can maintain our vision even when the world around us grows dark? There are a lot of lessons and importance of vision that we can learn from this tragic story of JFK's untimely death. Lessons, I believe, can help us to maintain 2020 vision, no matter what we are facing. Let's look at the main points of this article that contributed to JFK Jr.'s death and the death of the passengers. Let's see what the Bible has to say about each of these. First point, he was inexperienced, not qualified. He only had 300 hours of flying experience. Conditions maintained, excuse me, conditions mandated, relying on instruments, but he was not qualified for license to fly with instruments only. Another article from fearoflanding.com provided additional details. The official NTSB report stating that the pilot completed his private 
pilot certificate a year before in April of 98 and got his high-performance airplane signed off just two months later. He'd bought the Saratoga in April, three months before the accident, received his complex airplane sign-off the month after required for the Saratoga. He had about 310 hours flying time. That was it. 55 of which were at night, however. His experience flying without certified flight instructor, CFI, was only 72 hours. So that's all he had flown without a CFI. His flight time in the accident aircraft was about 36 hours. 9.4 of them at night. About three hours was with a CFI on board and about 0.08 hours at night, including one night landing. As a side note, I learned from another, another article that a guideline requires pilots who carry passengers at night to have at least three night takeoffs and landings in the previous 90 days, which JFK did not have. One of his instructors described his aeronautical abilities as average. Average, his level of experience is what he had. The CFI and JFK Jr. used the flight stated that he would not have felt comfortable with the pilot. He would not have felt comfortable flying with JFK Jr. You know, in conducting night flight operations on a route similar to the one he had flown on and other weather conditions to those that existed in the night of the accident. He would not have felt comfortable flying in those conditions. So what about us? In our Christian walk, are we experienced and underqualified? In our own flesh, the answer is yes. We are underqualified and inexperienced in our own flesh. But let's take a look at where our qualifications come from. Let's turn to the following verse. We're going to go to uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 4 through 6. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. So my second point JFK Jr. exhibited pride. Uh, he turned down assistance. He wanted to try to do this on his own. And then another article I have I'd like to refer to regarding this. Uh, it's from the Fear of Flying the article. One of JFK's friends described him as being overconfident regarding his abilities. So he had an issue with pride. I'm not trying to judge you know, his motivation his uh, situation, but, you know, it's a good example for us. Please go to Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and the haughty spirit before a fall. We need to keep our pride in check and make sure we're remaining humble. That was part of the problem. Let's go to the third point now. JFK exhibited bad judgment, flying in bad conditions. Bad conditions, moonlit nights over a dark, hazy ocean, unable to see the shoreline, lights, other landmarks, recovering from a broken ankle as well. All of these things added up to 
caused the disaster. The fear of landing article also provided additional information. This is important for context. And the following are excerpts and part paraphrasing from the article. JFK and his passengers got a late start. Uh, they were delayed because they were leaving late from work. They were further delayed because of traffic. So they didn't plan well. It was a disaster from the beginning. They didn't even leave until 8.32 p.m. They planned on leaving at like 6 p.m. So they got a two hour and 30 minute late start. Additionally, while there's no record of someone using JFK Jr.'s code to check weather earlier in the day of the flight, which showed the fact that all airports in the area had low visibility. And there's no record of him checking the weather beforehand. Further, he did not file a flight plan, which is meant to exact route and expected time of arrival and make sure your plan of arrival is known. Doyle, if you want to go ahead and pass those out real quick. I've got some flight plans I want to show everybody, just having kind of an idea of what a flight plan looks like. There's one that's actually a little bit better than this one. It's uh, for international waters. It talks about being prepared for disaster in the desert, over the ocean, having a lot of these things that you've already prepared for and you do a checklist for it. But this is still a good example. Due to their late start, it became dark shortly after their departure. This is important because with night flying, you may lose your visual references. And you may have to rely on your instruments alone. The FAA Airplane Flying Handbook warns of these hazards. So that's why it's important that you have your flight plan and you decide what you're going to do in case there's a problem. Crossing large bodies of water at night in a single airplane could be, be potentially hazardous, not only for the standpoint of landing, but having to ditch in the water. But also because of little or no lighting, the horizon bends, it blends into the water. In this case, which depth perception and orientation become difficult. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Reggie and also uh, Barnabas back here, and he was saying it'd be a good idea to have like a cat in your cockpit because you know how a, you drop a cat and it lands on its feet. So I think they should have like cat cockpit cats because if it, you drop it and it rolls around, then you know that you're in trouble. So I just thought I'd add that. It's a little bit of humor, but so in case you can't use your instruments, have a cockpit cat. So during the poor visibility conditions over the water, the horizon will become obscure and may result in the loss of orientation. Even on clear nights, the stars may reflect on the water surface, which could appear as continuous array of lights, thus making the horizon difficult to identify. Your brain tells you you're still straight and level. That's where the cat, cockpit cat would come in handy. Even though you are still on the right turn, you level out your wings, your brain will believe that you're turning and banking to the left. Although now you are actually straight and level, the compelling belief that you are now turning left will lead you to go back to the right again. Pilots are trained to know this. However, the illusion cannot be stopped. It can only be ignored. 
instrument training teaches you to disbelieve everything you think. That's why the instruments, being able to read them is very important. You have to know and trust your instruments. Unfortunately, the certainty that your flight path is not correct is compelling. According to AC64A, a pilot spatial disorientation tests conducted with qualified instrument pilots indicated that it can take as long as 35 seconds to establish full control of instruments after a loss of visual reference of the Earth's surface. AC60A4A further says that the surface references of the natural horizon may become obscured even though visibility may be above VFR minimums and that the inability to perceive the natural horizon or surface references is commonly during flights over water at night in sparsely populated areas and low visibility conditions. The wreckage from the plane revealed that two of the radios had incorrect frequencies as well. Selected for the standby frequencies, which the report notes but does not comment upon. The incorrect frequencies could well mean that the pilot was distracted when he should have been watching his instruments. Possibly he was distracted long enough to become disoriented. And when he looked up, everything went wrong and felt wrong. The National Transportation Safety Board determines the probable cause of the accident as follows. The pilot's failure to maintain control of the aircraft during a descent over water at night, which was the result of spatial disorientation. Factors in the accident were haze and the dark night. A 2004 study found that the average life expectancy of a non-instrument rated pilot who flies into clouds or instrument conditions is 178 seconds, not quite three minutes. This particular accident reminds us that it isn't always obvious when instrument conditions apply. The bullet point here was poor conditions and bad judgment. If J.K. Jr. had used wisdom and postponed his flight until daylight or allowed the certified flight inspector instructor to fly with him, the outcome may have been different. Additionally, his radio channels were turned to the wrong frequencies. It is important for us to be tuned into God and it is important to seek God's counsel and apply wisdom as we see in the following verses. We need to be on God's frequencies and make sure we're tuned in to what he wants us to be making sure our flight plan is directed in the right path. So now let's go to the following verses. I'm going to turn to Proverbs 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it will cost you all you have. Get understanding. Let's also go to Proverbs 15, verse 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So it would have been good if he had made a flight plan, if he had had uh, this flight instructor go with him, if they had prepared ahead of time, didn't leave two and a half hours late. So there's a lot of things that added up to cause this tragedy. For my fourth point, the outcome of JFK's choices. 
You know, he perished, but his inexperienced pride and bad judgment didn't just impact him alone. He had passengers with him. You always are taking others with you on this journey. It's not just yourself that's on the journey, but you have people around you as well on your journey. Your lack of vision or lack there impacts others too. It only took 14 seconds to lose half of his altitude. A typical flight from New Jersey to Martha's Vineyard should have taken about an hour and a half. This can closely compare to our life. We work so hard for something, making headway, but then gains can be lost in the blink of an eye. It just takes one bad choice. This applies to us both physically and spiritually. We have to be on guard all the time, making sure we're, as we're looking ahead with our 2020 vision, seeing what's out on the horizon and even up close, making sure that we can see what's ahead. You may have heard the expression that God is my co-pilot. In reviewing the story of JFK Jr.'s plane crash, we can see the relevance and necessity to have God in the cockpit of our life and always being with us. You know, it's through God, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have 2020 spiritual vision. Remember, we are in a spiritual battle. We must have spiritual vision to see clearly, see as clearly as we can. Excuse me, I got to go drink water. <clears throat> Please turn with me to Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh or blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual weaknesses in high places. We're in a spiritual battle. We cannot see our enemies without spiritual vision. How many of us have ever seen or used, <coughs> excuse me, uh, virtual reality goggles? They're pretty awesome. Uh, it's almost like you're in a video game itself. I remember I was over at Matt and Renee's and they had uh, one where you're inside actually the cockpit of a plane and you're flying the plane and it's, you're like looking around, you're in the plane, it's pretty amazing. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this, um, it's, it's like a fake reality. These glasses completely shut out everything except for the virtual environment. I don't know if any of you watched the show Star Trek The Next Generation, but they had where you go on the holodeck. It's very similar to that, but not quite as great of, um, like it was in a real reality on that show, but it's, it's more of a virtual reality. But they completely shut out everything. Um, in a way, our existence in this physical life is like wearing virtual reality glasses. We must take off the VR glasses and replace them with our spiritual lenses. If we are to have 2020 vision, perfect vision, we need to take off the virtual reality glasses. So how do we do this? Part of the answer can be found in Romans. I like to turn to Romans 12 verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Take off the virtual reality glasses. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I said that was part of the answer, being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we could know that God's will is certainly is a step closer to having spiritual 2020 vision. Earlier, I looked at some of the things that contributed to JFK Jr.'s crash. Now I'd like to look into some additional proactive steps that we can take to assist us in our goal of having 2020 virtual, I mean spiritual vision. Number one, make a flight plan, like I handed out and showed you. JFK's destination was Martha's Vineyard, but he never filled out a flight plan, which may have contributed to his ultimate demise. What is our destination, and how will we get there? Please turn with me now to Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. How? Well, first of all, Bible study, prayer, etc. But we must make an action plan and follow through with that action plan once we've gone ahead and put that action plan together. According to Wikipedia, flight plans usually include info such as departure and arrival points, estimated time, of route, alternate airports in case of bad weather, pilot info, number of people aboard, etc. Flight plans are highly recommended, especially when you're flying over inhospitable areas, like I mentioned before, where you might be out over the desert in different areas. And in the US and Canada, when an aircraft is crossing the air defense identification zone, a special type of flight plan called the defense VFR flight plan must be as well. Must be filed. We can use these guidelines in creating our own spiritual flight plans. What spiritual growth do we want to see by Passover? Is there something that we need to work on? We maybe could write that down on our on our plan. What spiritual growth do we want to see by Passover, by the feast? Who are our passengers? Who is surrounded by us that depends on us, family, friends, coworkers. What is my spiritual defense plan when it comes under the fiery darts of our enemy Satan? So number one was make a flight plan. Number two, be prepared. And being proactive, these are the points. Do we have the experience, wisdom, and tools to get us to our destination, a pre-flight check? You know, instruments, flight worthiness of plane, fuel, etc. Are all these things stuff you're getting together to help you? Turn with me now to Second Peter one, verses three through eleven. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in a divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, 
and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you'll receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's quite a great promise to make sure that we have self-control, perseverance, and following through and having our spiritual glasses on. Please turn with me to Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So, being prepared, having a strong foundation, having a, having a plan. Number three, in being prepared and having positive changes, identify obstacles. What obstacles might I enter into and need to be prepared for? Am I prepared for emergency situations? You never know when something can come up or a problem. So you need to be prepared for these things. It's good to be praying for each other because daily in your travels even to work, you could have time and chance happen. So it's good to pray and look out for each other. You know, the Bible tells us that Satan is an adversary to us. He walks like a roaring lion. Take note, if he is roaring, he can be heard. Many obstacles can be planned for. The Bible also tells us to turn to James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise from God. Satan will flee. Just submitting ourselves to him. Satan has no power over us. He's only given what God allows him to have. Additionally, we can find in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though some strange things were happening to you, but rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We also see that we are not left without hope, if you'll turn to John 16:33. Satan wants nothing more than to, to knock us out, that's for sure. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. We're not promised that things are going to be smooth. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But that's a, a great promise. All right, for the fourth point, we want to make sure we're making a safe landing. So point number four, make a safe landing. In contrast to the tragic death of JFK Jr., here's another story involving a plane that is one of inspiration and a perfect example of divine intervention. In fact, it is referred to many as a miracle on the Hudson. It is a story of many of you likely are familiar with, the story of Captain Sully. 
landing his Airbus A320 plane on the Hudson River on a cold New York day on January the 15th, 2009. If you aren't familiar with the story, perhaps to refresh your memory, shortly after takeoff, the plane was struck by a flock of Canadian geese, taking out both engines. Sully calmly and expertly landed the huge plane safely on the frozen Hudson River. All 155 passengers and crew aboard the U.S. Airways Flight 1549 survived. According to Wikipedia, an official from the National Transportation and Safety Board described it as the most successful ditching in aviation history. These people knew what they were supposed to do, and they did it. And as a result, no lives were lost. According to an article from the Utah newspaper called the Deseret News, when he had to make the emergency landing in the river, Sullenberger realized that a lifetime of training and decisions, as well as a team-building efforts of his crew, had become a virtual part of the ensuring the survival of his passengers. And that's what Sully said in a recount. And you know, Sullenberger had only worked with these people for four days. Uh, he had worked with, as building team members up. I guess he had a program where he would work with different people and try to work together as a team over a short amount of time. So even these people that he worked with, it was just for a short matter of time. They only knew each other like four days. They'd flown with each other on a few different flights. And Sully attributed his ability to land the plane safely to his years of training and experience. So he had many years of training and experience. And also the teamwork, teamwork and culture of a communication and cooperation from his crew that I mentioned. Like I said, they only knew each other four days. Just like Captain Sully, we are gaining experience and we're training as we walk through this life. Each experience gives us more knowledge and training to apply to emergency situations that can come up. Additionally, it is very important to have a spirit of teamwork, knowing that we can't do this on our own. We're on a walk. We need to work together. Having communication and cooperation in God's church, in a word, having unity. If you File your flight plan, prepare for obstacles, and make sure you and your crew are wearing your spiritual lenses for perfect 2020 vision. You can plan a safe landing just like Captain Soli. You can go ahead and put that image up, Brian, if you've got it now. Here's the, the plane there in the Hudson River with all 155 passengers alive and well. May it be a lasting reminder of what is possible when you have 20-20 vision.